still getting used to that. You're being recorded now. Watch out. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. Um, I'm here with my friend, Carrie Veal. Uh, she is the marketing specialist for Southern Regional Technical College in the deep south state of... Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, are you going... Are, is this going closer to Florida? Yes, we are almost in Florida. Our, our metro is actually Tallahassee, so we're, we're, we're way south Georgia. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Excellent. I, uh, I spent, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design, so I spent, Ooh. I spent some time in Georgia, and um, that drive from Pittsburgh to Savannah, and then from Savannah to Orlando, you really get to see a good portion of the South, but right. not the, maybe not your part. Um, no. Yeah. We're very, very rural over here. We're in Southwest Georgia. So um, okay. you, uh, Savannah is a fabulous city, and I, I think everybody should visit at least once. Um, but uh, Georgia's a big state, and, and over here we're mostly farms. Uh, so you're, yeah, you're, you're a marketing specialist at a, at a tech college in southern, west, southwest rural Georgia. Um, yeah. Have you always lived in that area? I lived here, I grew up here, um, uh, well, actually, so I grew up here, and then I went to college in Milledgeville, which is in central Georgia, and then okay. I met a boy, and then we moved to Germany, and so I dropped out of college <laughs> <laughs> a long, long time, way back in the 90s, I dropped out of college, yeah. so we lived in Germany for a while, and then we lived in Virginia for a while, and then when he left the military, we came back here to Georgia, so I've been back in Georgia for quite a while. What was Germany like for you? I really was so ignorant about what Germany was going to be like. I really did expect uh, horse-drawn carriages and... <laughs> Victorian <laughs> era. No, yeah, I did. But it's, I mean, it's a super modern country. And, and the truth is, I, I know this is going to be listened to by some students. Uh, I recommend staying in college. But I will say, if you have to leave college or if you're going to leave college, move to a foreign country. Uh, because the experience of moving to Germany at, in my early 20s, is probably the most important thing that ever happened in my life. Wow. As far as forming me, who I am now, it was just at this formative moment where I was newly married. I was an idiot, didn't know what I was doing there, but I moved to a, a country that was so, could, could hardly be more different than mm -hmm. my experience in South Georgia growing up, that it really just fired, it fired up my creativity, it fired up my curiosity, it made me start to be, started to be better at questioning things that I had always assumed. And so um, I didn't complete college for uh, many, many years. In fact, I'm still in college now. Uh, but I do think that Germany was, it was life-changing, literally life-changing. So yes, please stay in college, kids. But if you don't, <laughs> go somewhere. Go to Cambodia, go to somewhere. See, I never had, I never had that particular experience of, of studying abroad or living abroad. Um, I mean, I've, I've been to Canada, right? Hey. And continental. Hey. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm always interested in hearing how those experiences change creative professionals like you and how that makes your work better or more informed or more worldly. Um, so, well, I'm glad you had a good experience there. I want to say you're, I know you're a design guy and, uh, when I went to Germany, it took me a, a little while to get used to the packaging 
in Europe, mm. especially in the 90s. The packaging was so simple, yeah. so, so, so simple, so clean. And at first I thought it was boring. But then the more I was around it, the more I began feeling it's just so beautiful. It's so it was just mm -hmm. aesthetically pleasing. And the stores, I would go into these stores and they would just, everything would just feel comfortable and calm. And the first time I came back to America, I had been living in Germany for almost a year. And walking into Walmart for the first time hurt. <laughs> it really yeah. did. Just the packaging was so colorful and so bright and so busy. And so it really, it made me think about everything, like literally everything about marketing. It changed mm -hmm. the way I thought about it. And I still think about that. I look at packaging now and I'm just like, even yeah. America, it's so bad. Oh. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's profound the difference. You're you're actually referring to uh, Swiss minimalism, uh, which is you know making trying to create as much impact as possible with as few elements as as possible. So um, there's a lot of innovation and ingenuity in minimalism with respect to that. And uh, some of the designers actually that I respond to or most mostly influential to me are Germans. Uh, so, I mean, there were two schools of, of thought in Germany, Basel and Zurich, that, you know, uh, try, each tried to define design minimalism. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and what's interesting is though, that was like back in the, back in the day, right? So some of my, design inspiration, like Joseph Mueller Brockman, that was the 40s through the 60s. Um, but there's a there's a contemporary designer named Stefan Sagmeister who does some pretty wild stuff. Um, and uh, in fact, you should you should watch the documentary on it. Uh, it's pretty interesting. But nevertheless, um, I'm glad well, you have an appreciation for it. Absolutely. And we, we were, we lived in Wiesbaden, but we had the, the great um, luck to have friends over in Weimar, Germany, which is the home of Bauhaus. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. Bauhaus, yeah. Simple, gorgeous structures. <laughs> hey, yeah. Earthquake up there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm drinking Sprite. So I'm all wired up now. It's the sugar. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, after, after Germany, I, I came back here and I had not completed college. And for some reason, it didn't dawn on me to go back to college, but it did dawn on me that we needed money. And mm -hmm. I had an eye and appreciation for photography. And I had inherited, uh, no, I had received in the mail a very, very early digital camera back in like 1998. And yeah. um, so in 2002, I just said, well, I'm going to be a photographer now. <laughs> With absolutely no training, um, and I just sort of like I made a business card, and I said I'm a photographer now, and I opened a photography studio. And um, luckily, uh, the internet already at that time had lots of great resources for photographers, and I got on some great forums, and I really did a lot of work to teach myself over the first couple of years. And I mean, I built a photography studio actually from the ground up, uh, kind of against all odds here in South Georgia. I, I did a very kind of different style of photography than most of the. Uh, white background picket fence kind of photography that most people around here were used to at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was kind of a remarkable time to grow as an artist. I, I, I had almost no parameters because I didn't have a boss. And my only bosses were all my clients. And uh, as right. long as I was producing work they liked, uh, then it was, uh, it was really well received. And I'm saying this because I got to a point where I had to quit photography and Quitting photography kind of changed my entire 
profession. That's how I got to where I am now. Um, I quit photography because of the changes in the industry. If you have any of your listeners that are photographers, they, if they've been around for more than five years, they've seen major changes in our industry and uh, things like, well, like basically 10 years ago, the iPhone started changing photography. Right. Um, it started taking professional photography out of the hands of people who had $20,000 worth of equipment and putting it into the hands of people who had a $500 iPhone. Um, and then there was also innovations in, um, in websites like Pinterest. I started, I stopped having people come to me and wanting to, you know, just have me um, capture their, their children or their wedding or their baby. And they instead wanted me to recreate the work of 20 other photographers they had seen on Pinterest. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, it was the, it, it turned photography into a commodity instead of a craft. Right. Yep. And yeah, I, really, I, I can relate to that completely. I'm sure it happens in design as well. Yeah, it's actually, it, it's especially apropos now because of the uh, wide availability of applications that, that claim to do the work. So for example, like there's uh, AI, applications out there that basically you type in a few words and then it pieces together a logo for you out and essentially what it is it's a database of like different typesets and icons and shapes that have words associated with them so if a half circle or a full circle rather is mapped as community and I type in community then I'm going to get a circular logo so it's relatively formulaic in that respect. So, um, I mean, for as innovative as that is, what it does take out is your point. It commoditizes it. It takes the craft out. And because there's no craft to it, it's soulless. You know, yes. there's no meaning. I, AI cannot do visual metaphor. And that's a lot of what branding, especially the type of branding that I do, is about. You have to understand people, their stories, their backgrounds to create an apt visual metaphor that makes sense, is personable, and they can get it instantly. Um, but the other part is sites like Fiverr, um, where you could go there and get a logo for as cheap as humanly possible. So there are practitioners out there that use Fiverr, or I'm sorry, that are Fiverr artists, and they're selling their work at bottom of the barrel pricing that it ultimately waters down not only the, the economic value of the work that we do, that we were trained to do in college, mm-hmm. um, but it also drops the quality. You, you're only going to, let's say you come to me with a logo and you're like, well, I have a hundred bucks, give me a logo. <laughs> I'm not going to put a lot of work into it because a hundred dollars is essentially one hour of my time. Right. So, uh, the, the age old adage, you, you get what you pay for. Like that's very, uh, applicable to that. So I've seen a lot of, of challenges with that. And ultimately, you know, I spent and spend so much time teaching designers that their concerns are like, well, why are people going to pay me to do a logo that they can just buy off of Fiverr? And I have to say, I can't argue with that. All I can say is the people that are doing that are not the type of clients you want to work for. That's right. And, and you know, they have to own that. So for example, if 
your school had a design program and I was teaching there and I was teaching your students, I'd have to say like, if you want a good job, if you want to do good work, get the hell out of here because people in your area, and this is mostly a rural issue across the country, they're the ones that don't understand the value and won't put the money into a, a good creative work, not just design, but creative work in general. Um, and ultimately that, that damages uh, the industry. So. It does. And the same thing has happened in photography for sure. I mean, there was definitely, when I was in photography, I don't want to say how much I was averaging, but it was, a, I made a good living. And then along came photographers who would give you a two hour long photo shoot, an entire album of images and edits for $25. And I can't make money doing that. And I won't make money doing that. And I really didn't feel that I was at the point where I wanted to actually I had, I was at the point where I was over a decade into my career and I felt that, okay, I've done what I want to do here anyway. So let me see what else I can do. And I feel like that's an important thing for creative people to, to recognize as well. I don't know if you do this, but in my entire photography career and now in my marketing career, I, um, I set myself these goals, big unattainable goals or goals that at the time felt unattainable. And I kept, they kept growing and growing and I would make a small goal. I want to book a $3,000 wedding. And right. then I want to, you know, whatever it was. And finally, my, my ultimate goal for photography was, and I said it on the first year, the first year that I was a photographer, I said, I want to hang a single print in our local hospital, which I know sounds small, but our hospital is a, it's a, probably the biggest, most important building in our, in our county. And I yeah. just really wanted that. And the last year that I was in photography, I decorated the entire hospital top to bottom. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah with about 300 portraits of the community that they commissioned me to do. Wow. And I kind of felt like, okay, when I got to that point and I started realizing how the industry was changing, I thought, well, I think I've done everything I want to do here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Um, I have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to know because you can keep spinning your wheels forever. And I do think that creative people, most creative people are not creative in one way. Right. You know, most people who are photographers are also writers or painters or most people who are graphic designers probably are also into music. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's things that kind of correlate together really well. And I knew that, um, I didn't know I was going to be in marketing actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. When I came back, I said, all right, well, uh, when I left photography, I had no degree. And so I thought I'll get a job. I mean, everybody knows me in this town. It'll be easy. I'll get a job. I did not get a job. Because people kept saying, you need a degree. And I stamped my feet, and I didn't want to have to do that. But finally, I said, okay, I'll go get a degree. And I talked to some people who are real reasonable. And I said, what, what should I get a degree in? What can I always get a job in? And they were like, well, accounting. Go get an accounting degree. And I was like, that sounds very reasonable. So I went to this school. I started here at Southern Regional, which is where I work now. And yeah. um, I came here to get my accounting degree. I hate math. And I hate, <laughs> I hate organization really. Right. So in my first semester, I realized this is, a, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done is to go get an accounting degree. But on the first day, the very first day of school here, I was just, I was all butterflies. I was nervous. I hadn't been to school in 20 years. I was in my forties. I was like, everybody here is going to be this child. I don't want to deal with this. I was mad. Um, so I wrote this Facebook post. And this Facebook post kind of went viral. Um, it was about my experience of being an older student and 
Um, I can't quote it now, but it wasn't that long. It was just, a, but it was an interesting post. And then it went all the way to the, um, to our system office where the commissioner of the entire state of Georgia liked it and commented on it. And so the, the marketing guy here at the college came and found me at my restaurant that my husband owns. And he was like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm Carrie. Yeah. Uh, he was like, do you want to, you want to come work with us? Um, which is not a normal path to get into a career field, but I started out right. um, as a much older student, but as a work study student in the marketing department where they hired me to write Facebook posts and other things like that. Um, and then I kind of meandered on to uh, finishing here and I've continued on I'm at their university now, but they made my job full time. So now I'm full time and hopefully we'll continue to be full time here. I mean, who knows what any job in college is like right now. <laughs> well, especially now. Yeah. Yeah, right now. Um, but that's how I, I got here. So it was a meandering path, but I really, it really, even though I started in photography, I spent my first entire year in photography. Um, photography, like most other creative, especially um, small business entrepreneurial type paths, caused me to have to get good at writing and web design mm -hmm. and graphic design and all kinds of other things and music even. Um, I made commercials, I made videos. Um, and so I was able to take all of those things I had learned in my first career and move it over here into the second career. I am starting from scratch. I'm the lowman yeah. on the totem pole. I'm the oldest person in my department and the lowest paid, but that's okay. I mean, I, I understand where I am right now in my career. Right. And I think as a, as a creator, sometimes you have to start all over and I'm comfortable with it. I'm fine with it. Mm -hmm. I, I like my job right now because I'm getting benefits and everybody else has been laid off. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's yeah. lovely. Um, I, I I always wonder about people who have to start over in creativity and whether it seems, whether people are frightened about that. I was worried at first, but I mean, the more I've been, been into it. Well, you know, I can actually address that. So, you know, I, a lot of what you're talking about is your own, your history, right? But also your identity, mm. you know, and, and I love your story so much because you're talking about this transition of one identity to another, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in that we all have this idealized self-concept of who we are, what we do, uh, how others perceive us. I mean, that is pure ego talking. Um, and I, and I, I don't say ego in a negative context, like that's just what it is. Um, but it causes, uh, you know, trying to reach closer to your idealized self-concept, that's the motivator that creates ambition, that helps us get closer to the things that we think we should be or want to be. Um, sometimes it's compulsory, sometimes it's strategic, um, and sometimes you just get lucky and fall into it, right? Um, but the, the past two years of my life have really been about identity shift. So, mm. you know, if, you were to, if we would have met uh, two years ago, I would have said, I am a tenured graphic design professor, at a state institution in Ohio that also happens to have some of the sweetest but also hardest working people I've ever met um, in a community that is constantly the underdog. And I help raise this community up. I help bring, you know, some kind of joy and progression to, to the folks that live here. And then the bottom falls out, you know, uh, I decided I got put into a situation where I realized that I was not, I myself was not going to grow any further 
towards my idealized self-concept, uh, meaning the faculty that I, deal I was dealing with, they pretty much had it out for me and, you know, I was never going to get promoted. Uh, and it's like, why would anyone want to be in a position forever and not grow? So uh, I left. I, I said, I have to quit teaching, which was world ending for me because I love it so much. And I'm so, and I, I believe I'm good at it. And I've had a lot of trans transformative impact on people. Um, and I, I quit it. And it's like, what the hell do I do with myself now? And, you know, fortunately, I fell into a comparable and similar situation just at a new university. And now my identity has shifted. So now it's like, you know, I'm not just this. I can be a teacher anywhere at any time and still get that same kind of value. Um, but now I can also be this other thing. So, you know, I basically run marketing for the undergraduate business college at Pitt. And um, I, you know, I was concerned that like, I wasn't necessarily going to do a good job at it or whatever. And come to find out I'm doing really well and I'm thriving. Wait, and, now, why did you think you weren't going to do a good job? I'm interested. Oh, um, so, you know, uh, how do I put this? So teaching comes naturally, mm -hmm. interacting with people, being extroverted, that comes very natural to me. Um, and in the position that I acquired at Pitt, I didn't know if I was going to have that opportunity to be myself. I didn't know if I was, I was afraid that I was returning to the type of job I had before I started teaching where I was sitting behind a desk all day, in front of a computer, just being, minding my own and doing the work. And um, fortunately, the, the folks that hired me had the wherewithal and consideration to say like, well, he brought a whole bunch of new skills to the table. Let's let him run with it and shape and mold the position the way that he wants. And, you know, fortunately that that's, that's really working out. But I was terrified that I was going to be, I'm this faculty guy tenured professor coming to the staff level. And I didn't know if, you know, some people would be like, oh, screw that guy, know it all, <laughs> you know, or uh, it, it's, it, it's actually helped reframe my perception on how faculty and staff relate to one another and truly perceive the other. Um, at my former institution, there was a lot of like, well, the faculty don't even acknowledge the staff at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, but now at Pitt, it's like everyone loves each other and gets along and they understand how they each depend on each other. And it's been particularly um, refreshing. But, you know, yeah. to that point, like, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that like, wow, you know, I, I'm in this period of transition and I had all of this confidence and all of this prestige and accolades behind me and I'm starting over. Yep. It, it was it was quite unnerving. Um, so I, I think I think it's good for people to start over. I I, I think um, I think you can get too big for your britches, as we say here in the South. Um, and I I think that it's it's humbling in, in a really positive way for you to have to like take stock. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're no longer that teacher, or I'm no longer that photographer. So right. now, what do I have? How can I be successful? 
how can I make my team be successful? You know, right. how can I be an important part of this, this, the, the growth of this college or whatever organization you're working for? So, I mean, it's easy to go into coasting mode when you get to a certain level of success. And right. I didn't set out to have a photography career that only lasted 13 years. But I'm, <laughs> I'm glad it didn't. I mean, I can't imagine right. myself being 65 years old trying to still keep up with <laughs> all the young kids, truly. I mean, sure. it's just, I think it's important and you're, you're younger than I am, but I think you, you have to take stock of, you know, when, when do you need to move on out of, of basically the young folks game? Sure. Which is a scary thing to think of. Um, well, you know, I may be younger than you, but I have been a designer for almost 25 years. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so yes, you understand. Yeah. Now, and yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was recently reading about liquid or, um, crystallized intelligence versus liquid intelligence where, you know, like the young guys, they may have like a sharper mind because, you know, they're children. Um, but we have, <laughs> sure. you, you do, I mean, crystallized intelligence comes from experience and from trial and error and, and, and learning the tricks of the trade and making the yeah. tricks of the trade. Um, so I do think that I don't want to, I don't want people to feel like moving on necessarily has to be a scary thing or a negative move. I do think that you move on, you take, all of your lessons with you and you start again, but you start again at a ne the next level up. You know. And I'm so glad you said that because, you know, there's a phrase that I often use, especially with my students. And I would say like, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, so you have to figure out how to acquire yes. what you need to know. Right. Uh, rather simplified way of saying it, but one of the things that I realized after, you know, I've accumulated all of this experience and all of this knowledge and skills, and it's just like, I'm in a new situation and like, oh, wow, I really don't know anything, you know? Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I think helped ease my transition was I was able to bring in, I, I, I'll go on a limb and I, I think this will sound egotistical, but I've had a really unique, I've, and I think some of it's true, but nevertheless, I've had a really unique career. I've done a lot of things that people have not done. And um, being able to bring the, I mean, you same with you, you know, like you bring those things to the table in a new type of occupation or industry, and you're, you may be able to do some really innovative stuff very quickly. Yes. And, and that is kind of what is happening with me right now. Like I was able to bring my entrepreneurship background to this role and now I can just, I'm just firing on all cylinders and it's great. People are saying, yes, yes, yes. How are you coming up with these ideas? Partly because right. when you, when you stay in the same role too long with the same group of people too long, your ideas right. all start to like meld into the same thing. And when you come in with fresh new ideas, it may not mm -hmm. be that they're like necessarily groundbreaking. They're just something that the whole group hasn't gotten to that group think phase yet. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or they've thought of it, but they don't necessarily know how to manifest it. Yes. And or how we do things. Right, right. So, you know, fortunately, I think working by default, and it's not always the case, but in most cases by default, the university setting is approachable to new ideas. Yes. Um, and I know some and of our colleagues. Too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Of course, okay. academia in general. Yes. I know that some of our colleagues don't necessarily have that benefit, which is oh, yeah. troubling, but nevertheless, it, it exists. And, um, you know, so... 
I'm excited that I'm able to do some innovative stuff and it's, it's new to the, to this higher education marketing industry that we're in. And, you know, part of me is very concerned that like, at what point will these folks start to reject me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? Look forward to it and look forward to it. I'm a huge proponent of, accepting failure and not only accepting failure, but looking. I forward. love failing forward. I love yeah. it. I love the concept. And, <laughs> and I didn't, that was a concept that I, I wasn't aware of for the first several years of my photography career. But I learned very early on, I used to be terrified of angry clients. I used to be terrified of, of disappointing clients or making mistakes. I really was scared of it to the point where I hired a person to show the people their photographs after I took them because I just couldn't face letting someone down. And I, mm-hmm. that's a, that was a big waste of time and money and experience that once I took that on, um, I did disappoint some people. Everybody who is in a creative field, you can't read people's minds. And so you will disappoint some people. But every single time that I would have counted what my work did as a failure, what my work was, was as a failure. Every time I failed, I learned light years more, Mm -hmm. light years more. And in photography, I got to a point where everything was automatic. Like I didn't have to look at the camera to set any of the settings. Of course I shot manual. I didn't have to look at the camera to change lenses. I didn't have to think about how to pose people. I got to the point where it was almost difficult for me to fail because I was so honed in. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things that kind of started leading to my burnout. Um, Because you get to the point where nothing, if you can't fail, there's no excitement. (laughs) Right. Um, If you can't die, no no excitement in life. So I'm not that you should don't die for your craft. Um, (laughs) Quick, someone find some wood to knock on. Yeah. Surrounded by IKEA furniture. This isn't working out for me. (laughs) Um, But I will say that I mean, starting a new career, I've I tried very hard not to fail. I really do. I don't want to disappoint anybody, and I want to be a good employee. I want to be be a good team member. But inevitably, I have made failures. I've made mistakes. And again, it's, it's like starting fresh. I have fresh eyes to, to learning again. It's this brand new, everything is new to me. And I mean, failing again is, it's almost refreshing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, although please don't tell my employees that I've failed sometimes. I try to fix it really fast if I do. You've never failed anything. You're perfect no, 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 in no, every no, way. No. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Especially for my employer. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that that's something that people can look forward to and, and not being afraid. As a creative person, you want to be, you want to be great. You want to produce the best possible outcome every single time, but it's not possible because right. you're not perfect. <laughs> Sorry, you're not, RJ, you're not perfect either. Well, no. <laughs> you're well, close. Yeah, close. <laughs> well, you know, having to tell people like, don't make perfect uh, the enemy of, of great or good, you know. Or um, done or done, you know, not every situation, I especially see this with people entering the industry, they're green as hell, and you know, they're nervous, and we were all there once, and they're trying to make everything absolutely perfect, and sometimes, like, you know, some situations, perfect is not necessary, you know, just resolving the problem is good enough, that's right, you know, and instinct is the only sort of barometer for, for knowing, yeah. when to do that. So I, I'm glad you said that about problem solving, because that's one of the things that I think about a lot is that creative people are just good problem solvers. And mm-hmm. like, 
creativity is problem solving with a purpose, kind of, <laughs> especially when you're a creative professional. Um, you, you get presented with problems, you have to fix them. And a lot of times, the reason they hire creative people is because there's not a solution that's already in their manual of things to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, thinking outside of the box is what we're good at. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to teach uh, creative problem solving uh, mm -hmm. and design methodology. And I still apply a lot of those principles. I mean, and that was right around the time. I mean, design thinking has always been around, but when it was like really heavily commoditized and, and promoted and sold, you know, that's kind of around the time that I was teaching design methodologies. And, um, you know, giving people like a very clear delineated steps on how to solve problems, I mean, was transformative, uh, especially as a creative professional, because you walk into a situation, and you're like, all right, how the hell am I going to solve this one? And, you know, you, you have to have a process. And, you know, there are some designers that I know that just rely on pure luck, you know, mm -hmm. constantly. And I don't know how they've gotten as far as they have. But, it, you know, there are, there are creatives out there that have no process whatsoever. Um, at which point, you know, they're, they may not be the type of person that needs a process. They're just artists. They just produce, you know. I, I have to think that they... they it may not be a formalized process, but right. I think everybody has to have some kind of internalized process to right. create. Um, well, and to that point, like for some artists, it's hard to formalize that process, yes. you know, because it's instinctive, it's reactive, it's impulse. Yes. You know, a lot of it may be random. Um, you can't formalize a process like that. But it may be that there's something, you know, environmental even. Uh, for instance, when I used to... Um, for a while, I made several CD covers back when CDs were a thing <laughs> and album art. But uh, yeah. I found was so important for me is I couldn't sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to make a groundbreaking album art that's going to be the super coolest thing this artist has ever seen. What I right. found instead was that I needed to listen to the type of music that I wanted to, mm -hmm. to visualize. And so if I was doing bluegrass, I would just listen to bluegrass for an entire week and then I would just be in the headspace. And that may not have been like a formalized process, but it definitely got to my brain where it needed to go. Right. And, and right now during all this, I mean, everything is so chaotic. And by all this, I mean the COVID crisis. I mean, mm -hmm. everything is, everything feels chaotic. And so I've really found solace from my mental space. I need uh, to get away from people sometimes. Uh, and, uh, you know, with a house full of people all the time, it's a little yeah. difficult. And so I've, I'm lucky that we have a state park nearby. So I go for about a two hour walk every single morning. I'm so jealous. Oh, so jealous. It's, it's been the only thing that's made me sane. I, it's, been, it's also saved my creativity. Just right. you may, you're an extrovert. I'm an introvert. My creativity needs mental space, physical mm -hmm. mental space. Um, but I know that that's part of my creative process, even though that may not be, you know, the, the academic process of creativity, creative problem solving. I know for me, just getting out away from people and listening to birds is super important for me mm -hmm. to solve those kinds of problems. Yeah, I, um, I, I am, you know, it's kind of interesting. So I grew up in the Allegheny National Forest and like mm -hmm. right now I've been in the house for two months straight and like nature's calling to me, yes. right? It's like, I need to go back to the river and, um, what's funny is that because I'm so extroverted, I know that like, despite having this, this impulse to go back, 
I know that if I do, as soon as I get there, I will be completely unsatisfied by the, by the whole experience because I would likely be experiencing it alone. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's a weird ball of irony. That um, is a weird ball of irony. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll figure a- it out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Please, please do. I mean, do you, do you find that you need, uh, how do you create creative headspace? Do you need space, physical space, or do you need people around you to, to create? You know, um, I, I'm good in either way. Okay. I've found the things that, that motivate me the most. So I, I think in systems mm-hmm. and frameworks. So, you know, one of the things, so a long time ago, I showed you that backstory project, right? Yes. Which is doing really well for us. And, Yay. you know, I wasn't able to create that until I knew the, the system that I was working with at Pitt. But, and then also taking in my previous experiences as a teacher and understanding those systems. So mm-hmm. it's like once I found these two disparate elements had some level of compatibility, that's when things kind of hit. So my, my creative process generally comes, it, it could be in person or completely solitary, but it comes through analysis and, and understanding of systems. So, um, you know, and also there's a very deep connection to emotional content, emotional connection, touch points and stuff like that. Um, so that's just kind of how things manifest for me. So I could be in the shower, I could be driving. And as soon as those things like piece together, yes. then it's, it, then I'm going. Then so I'm do just, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like you know that about your brain? So you say, okay, I need this to connect with this. And then just say, okay, I need that. And then you let it go. And you know, it's eventually going to make the connection for you. Um, I don't know. I don't trust it to ever make a connection. I just know that I need these variables, these things to essentially line up. Yeah. And as soon as they do, I know that that's when I can really go all out and start to ideate and, and brainstorm. And in some cases, I don't even need to do that. It's just, there it is. You just kind of get going and it starts, does it start like just working out for you? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things that really interests me about like branding communities, Mm -hmm. you know, because you take all of these different frameworks of, of cultures and groups of people and, you know, the resident culture and business culture, you stack them on top of one another. And then it's like you drop a ball. Let's say they're discs and they're, they look like records and everyone has a hole in it and they're all spinning, right? You drop the ball and then it spins and then it eventually finds the hole, right? Yeah. That's, that's the most apt sort of visual way I can describe it. So I can all those, see it. Yeah. So that's kind of how like it, it works for me. And, um, you know, so but yeah, once I'm able to access that, then I'm off and running. And, and everything just fits together. For the most part, yeah. So like, you know, double, triple, quadruple entendres, not in the, in the, the language sense, but like multiple applications to one thing, killing 50 birds with one stone. Yes. That's really where I think I flourish the most in yes. problem solving. So so like with the backstory piece, like I was able to tell students stories while also appealing to their high schools and their parents and their siblings. And then I was able to communicate those messages on a very geo-targeted level 
Um, and so it's like it takes care of all of these different things at one time. Um, yes. I yeah. love a win, 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 win. Oh, man. So do I. It's the Best it's the feeling in the best. world. Yeah. And I do yeah. think, I mean, I think that's something, that's where creative professionals can really shine is when they're able to create wins, not only for their employer, but for their community and for the, you know, customers. And I think that mm -hmm. we, I mean, people who do it well do that on a constant basis and do it intentionally. And yep. that's certainly what I, I try to do. I don't want somebody to win so somebody else can lose. You know, when th this just popped into my head, but this was, this is one problem that I have is that with how my brain works, mm -hmm. it is sometimes hard, it like, and the solutions I provide to certain problems, it is occasionally difficult for people to understand that. Uh -huh. Like, it's because some of it is very predictive, you know, and it's like, this, this, this is why I'm glad like my supervisors at Pitt, they're just like, just let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just let them do it. But like in my previous institution, I'm, I'm coming to the table and solving all these problems. And some people are like, that's not a problem. That will never uh -huh. be a problem. Like, well, if you do this, this, and this, yes. then that will become a problem. So I think part of uh, as much as as much fun and personal satisfaction as I get out of solving problems in that very specific way, the downside is that I can't expect that to be fully understood one-to-one -one by the people I'm solving problems for. But I, I think that that's where a good communication and a good relationship with your administrators mm -hmm. or your Absolutely. CEO or whoever to trust that you're seeing further down the line than they're seeing. Mm -hmm. um, because I have the same issue with, with communicating out. I feel like my brain just unravels on out way yeah. down the road. And I feel frustrated just trying to explain all the steps in the process my brain is taking but i'm saying just like okay let me just get here and, and then you're gonna be <laughs> right. happy that i got here um yeah. but that is I, I don't know if that's just a typical creative person thing i have never actually heard somebody else say that but you you said it perfectly that's exactly how oh. my brain does too well i see i knew you'd get along yes <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Carrie, we're, we're wrapping up, wrapping up on our time here. I, I want to just ask you, what advice do you have for graduating students or students that just graduated, depending on where you're at, entering an economy that may not have room for them? What would your advice be for them? If you're talking about a creative student, uh, and I think most students should be creative, um, especially when you're teaching, I think one thing that's important is to keep creating, even if you're not hired yet. Mm -hmm. If you haven't been hired yet and you want to be a podcaster, start podcasting. If you want to be a graphic designer, start designing. Start right. building your portfolio. Keep your skills up to date and fresh uh, because, and, and keep them out in the public too. Join a community like Hit Record, um, which is a great creative um, social media outlet and just start collaborating with other collaboratives or with other creative people and create publicly let people know that you're creating and mm -hmm. keep your skills up. I think that's one of the most important things you could do and challenge yourself. If you think that you can't write a song, try anyway, fail spectacularly, but try it. So I know I can't do that, <laughs> but I'm going to try, try it, it anyway. I'm going to try it. Try it. You have yep. a daughter. You can make up a terrible song and she'll probably love it. <laughs> oh, we do it. We do it all the time. See that you can yep. do it. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's better at it than I am. 
no doubt. <laughs> perfect. You're yeah. raising a little uh, ingenue. It's perfect. Yeah, may, uh, hopefully. Yeah, she's very avant-garde. Very, uh, yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, she she says and th- says things, sings things, dances, and just things I've never heard of. It's peculiar, but it's also great. So, I love it. Well, thank you, Carrie. This was wonderful. And um, if folks are interested in you know, learning more about you and your college and, or just social media and marketing in general, how can they get a hold of you? Um, they can find me on Facebook under my name and my name, you'll have to put in the show notes because nobody can pronounce or say it or spell it. Veal. That's right. Um, and on, on, uh, I just started an Instagram, a personal Instagram. I've never had one until now, but it's called window to the walk. And it's just, shop daily photographs of my walks so um cool. if you wanted to see outdoor stuff there's that and southern regional technical college is everywhere at srtcedu photo challenge for you let me know when okay. you accomplish it accomplish it excuse me i need a photo of a walking stick okay i'll get it for you i don't know they're, they're down there right oh we have several in my house oh really <laughs> oh, wow okay all right well yeah i need a photo of one of those to show amelia of course Oh, of course. I'll be happy to sell some (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cool. Thanks, Kay. This was great. Thank you, RJ.